0: What's up? <laughs> <sighs>
1: well it's the 88th month of 2020
0: yes (laughs) wait wait can we just take a second and acknowledge so i had a really weird dream i forgot what day it was but i texted you about it and you never texted me back did you (laughs) um
1: let's see i'm gonna go back (laughs) This is the wrong Rachel. I'm looking. At the okay. Rachel's, well, at but... least it
0: was that you
1: didn't read it. Wait, <laughs> because I, don't I was like, see, when did you text me? Hold on, hold on. Oh, I'll Saturday. Tell <laughs> you. Saturday. Well, the problem is also one. I probably was like, I got
0: this at 5 a.m. <laughs>
1: <Rachel>. True.
0: <laughs> I texted you at 7:41 a.m. Boston time, which is really early for Saturday, yeah. anyway. And then I
1: just I have a feeling so I sometimes take medication to sleep because I just can't fall asleep. And I especially do it on the weekends because I don't need to be like super alert the next day. Mm -hmm. So there's a 90% chance that I read this while on sleep medication. And it didn't occur to me that it actually happened.
0: It's okay. So. I wrote it while I was half asleep because I'm like, oh my God, if I forget this, like I'll be so mad at myself.
1: Okay. So basically, can, I, I can feel I like read people this? like, oh. yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Says, I had a dream that we recorded a podcast episode and I was walking you home. Okay. But we were, <laughs> we were walking through this really sandy area and there were a bunch of snakes and one bit you. What? <laughs> um, I had to karate chop it with my hands so it would let you go. And I was like, wow,
0: this is going to make great for an intro next week.
1: And like um, that was
0: in the dream that I thought like, wow, we'll be able to talk about me karate chopping this <laughs> snake off Natalie. Not that I thought that the dream would make an interesting intro, yeah. but like... In the, it was so weird. And, like, I'm sorry if other people don't find dreams interesting, but I feel like my dreams are just so unusual that it's, no. like, worth listening to. I I also have super unusual dreams. I I
1: appreciate you karate chopping the snake. Um, I'll be honest. At that point, you can just let me die. Like, I have no intention of going through life knowing that I've been bitten by a snake. <laughs> um uh Jarell had a, I guess this morning I like my stomach was hurting and so I was like Jarell my stomach hurts and he's just like be quiet stop straining you have scurvy <laughs> he was like asleep oh wow <laughs> I was like what and then this morning when he when he like finally woke up he's like oh yeah I was having a dream with like pirates <laughs> and I was like oh well that's where the scurvy comes in I guess <laughs> that's the first
0: thing I thought of when I heard scurvy Right. I'm
1: like I don't even know what that is.
0: You don't It's that's why you have to eat oranges or why they would bring like citrus with them when they were pirating because I that mean, fights off scurvy. I mean, I looked it up after, but I've heard it.
1: I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you off the top of my head it's like what scurvy disease. is. Yeah, oh. like your gums are bleeding. Guys, yeah. if you have scurvy, eat an orange because Rachel's a doctor. Mm. Just kidding. <laughs> Do not no. take medical advice from this podcast. No. No. Oh I gosh. Will. Well, other than your wild <laughs> dreams, how's life been?
0: Boring? I I'm sorry, I really don't have anything to to share. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um I tried to make bread. Oh yeah. I'm like Low key obsessed with Paul Hollywood from The Great British Baking Show, and it's look up the young point. pictures of Paul Hollywood, guys. Ugh. Oh my god, those <laughs> eyes! Although I did find out that he cheated on his ex-wife with like the co-star of one of his like baking shows, so that makes me a little disappointed. I mean, but... cheating builds character <laughs>
1: for, <laughs> <laughs> for um,
0: everyone involved, <laughs> I suppose, but. It's gotten to the point where I think Evan's really jealous because I keep (laughs) talking about how obsessed I am with Paul Hollywood. Also, there's a, I feel like, again, all I talk about is TV, but Paul Hollywood is on um, Netflix. He has his own, like, racing show because he was a race car driver for a while. Fun fact. And so there's a show of him driving, like, really cool cars all across Europe. Is he driving fast? uh in some cases yes okay very cool very cool yeah i don't
1: i don't share the same obsession with paul hollywood but i do have an obsession with bread so i was glad to know that yours turned out good
0: uh i mean good is being a little generous you said taste it tasted good right yes i said the taste was good but it looked like a giant piece of poop like (laughs) it was just really like sloppy it was supposed to be a baguette but It looked like a turtle that got hit by a car. I mean, it's bread. Just like slice it up and exactly, just cover it it in jam and move on with your life. How 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 are you doing? How are things in
1: Rado? In Rado, um, good. Happy belated birthday to Emily, who apparently listens to this religiously. She sent me a text and she's like, "I just realized that listening to your podcast every week is not the same as actually like." talking to you (laughs) so i'm like good well good to know that we have one loyal listener it's almost (laughs) the same yeah um but yeah i haven't done much in life just trying to work but my attention span not really there but you know, whatever. That? I literally just emailed my boss who is like in one of the Dakotas or something right now. What? It's like a,
0: aren't the Dakotas like super bad right now?
1: Yeah, so she's like she basically travels to where um like COVID is the worst. Oh right. You were telling she, me that before. Yeah, to help kind of fight it, I guess. And I was like just very honest with her. I'm like I'm slightly almost very behind on some work tasks. <laughs> And she's like, You're doing great. You're holding down the fort. You're the heartbeat of this project. I'm like, Thanks.
0: What a treasure. What a treasure. Yeah. Uh, well, that's wonderful. Good news. So, on top of things not being very exciting, uh, just a pitch again to everyone to leave us a review. We finally cracked 10 reviews and I feel famous. Um, so, we'll be donating 10. Well, we might wait until there's a little bit more. Um, but,. We are donating a dollar for every review to the National Center for Victims of Crime. It's a quick and easy way to help out our podcast while also making sure that we give away all our money to a worthy cause.
1: I'm, I am like the last to know that we have reviews, so. Anyhow, oh, have you reviewed your own podcast? Oh, you mean ratings? Yeah. Oh, ratings, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah. Ratings, not reviews. That, I didn't know that either. But
0: yeah awesome thanks have you not rated our podcast
1: on itunes yeah okay like it first came out so one of them is me you're welcome (laughs) actually i did it i did it from my work phone and my regular
0: phone so oh i should do it from my work phone now that i have one (laughs) no one heard that they're all from strangers everybody loves us look if we don't support
1: ourselves then why would anybody else exactly
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pink Collar Crime, a true crime podcast focusing exclusively on crimes committed by women. I'm Rachel. And I'm Natalie. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Each week, we're going to tell you about one or two cases of crimes committed by women and discuss details, motives, similarities, and differences, etc., etc. If you like our show,
1: tell your friends. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating and tell us what you love or don't love about the show.
0: And give us a follow on social media at Pink Collar Underscore Pod.
1: Um, great, great. Cool. So this week's topic, Rachel.
0: It's a fun one. Um, so it started off as being mothers who um, have neglected their children, I guess, some like medical medically. Needs. Yeah. Um. So mine strayed a little bit from that, but it it does involve a mom getting convicted so it's it counts i guess is it so it's still
1: in the world of medical neglect yes, so yes. not giving people either the any medical treatment that they need or the right medical treatment or something in that <coughs> realm oops sorry are
0: you cool <laughs> <laughs> um fun fact while i was doing my episode uh my e key broke So, I wrote my whole script not using the letter E at all, you know? (laughs) Like in um, Gilmore Girls when they were doing the uh, Life and Death Brigade, they tried to talk sentences without Without, using E. So, my my whole script does not use any words that contain E. I have had that. It just I, fell off, but I can still press on it.
1: I've had that happen to me where, like, I couldn't press, like, I think it was O. Like, nothing, like, the key, nothing. It just wouldn't work. And so I literally had to have, like, a Word document with, like, a capital O and a lowercase O that I, like, copied from the internet, saved. And every oh, wow. time I needed to use O, I would copy and paste. That sounds like way it too much effort.
0: so horrible. I would have given up. Um, No, my E key stopped working, so I pulled it off because I was really frustrated. And then I think I broke it even more in the process of pulling it off to try to see... What was wrong with it? So now I mean it's just like the little squishy part. So it works. It's fine. And I probably honestly won't replace it for like the next six months until like I finally get so fed up with it that I given. Yeah. Like I looked up, you have to like order the pieces off of some website and just install it. Whatever. It works for now. Um I'm gonna take a quick moment before I get started and open my polar seltzer. If there's a, like, billionaire listening, just buy Rachel a new laptop. Please. It's fine. Actually, (laughs) I just need the new key. That's really it. Yeah, just buy
1: Rachel a new key. Like, it'll be fine.
0: Thanks. (laughs) What are you drinking? A polar seltzer. Pink Uh, collar brought to you by polar seltzer. It's ruby red grapefruit. Is it alcoholic? No. Oh. (laughs) It's, um, I think it might be local to... Oh, now I just spilled it all over myself. <laughs> I was trying to look at the bottom to see where it's from. Um, I think it might be more of like a New Englandy thing. I think it might be local to the New England area, but very it's just cool. a regular sparkling water. Very cool. Very cool.
1: Okay. Cool. Rachel's so trying to go is... first, everybody.
0: Yes. It's very sad, and it's very... It involves therapy um, and... Um, some very bad therapists so it's very near and dear to my heart and actually the first time I heard about this case is um when I was going through grad school um and the the child that dies Candace Newmaker one someone in my cohort knew her um so it took place in Durham North Carolina so not so fun fact I guess of um just a little personal connection to to the case but also when i was doing it i realized so this episode will be dropping on november 19th and that is actually when um candace newmaker was born so november nineteenth, nineteen 1989 in lincoln county north carolina angelina maria elmore gave birth to a baby girl she named her candace Angie was only 18 years old when Candace was born, and Angie viewed her birth as a chance to start over. Two years earlier, Angie had given birth to a little boy, so she was 16 when she she gave birth. Um, She was still a foster child herself at the time. Um, She was moving around from place to place, and she was just very angry at the world, which is understandable. So she made the decision to put her son up for adoption in hopes that he would have a, a better life. Angie's mother, Mary Cleneden, grew up in the foster system as well, so it was a cycle um, kind of in their family. Mary was abandoned by her own mother at a young age. She shared that one of her earliest memories was getting caught eating out of the neighbor's garbage can. So Mary grew up being shifted from foster home to foster home as well. Um, she, she was in 17 foster homes in total and she got married when she was six, 16 years old. So we just see um, a pattern in this family of getting married at a young age to, to escape the foster system, um, giving birth really young. Um, so Angie recalled her mother being in and out of her life and when her mother wasn't around, um, she and her brother were cared for by social services. Angie really wanted her own family, and she wanted to prove that she would be able to do it right. So she had gotten married to Todd Evan when she was just 17 years old. Todd was six years older than Angie, and he had a criminal record that only grew throughout their marriage. Um, It wasn't anything too crazy. He just lied and, and stole a lot, and Angie knew she wasn't in love, but she again was just really desperate to get out of the foster system, get away from her mother, and start a life of her own. Um so Candace's birth was was planned. Um, Angie felt like she was ready to have a child, and she played Candace classical music and read her stories while she was pregnant, And because she read that that would make your baby smart. Um, when Candace was born, her step-grandfather, David Davis, who she would later call Papa, was there to videotape the whole thing. Um, he even helped choose Candace's middle name, Tiara, naming her after a precious jewel. David would read Candace stories like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, uh, Candace's favorite. And David once tried to, I feel like this is a thing that like all dads or grandpas try at least a few times. Um, He tried to send one of the bears to 7-Eleven to get Coca-Cola while he was reading the story. But Candace interrupted saying, no, Papa, tell it right. (laughs) And I like, I feel like that brings me back to my childhood of like my dad trying, like, trying to switch things up and you're like no no i got you um so just shows she was like such a cute kid um so angie had two more children and she tried her best to maintain a steady job she worked in a nursing home for a while worked at a fast food restaurant she started beauty school at one point but ended up dropping out todd on the other hand had trouble holding down any job at all He would start pawning when money was scarce. He sold Angie's wedding ring and Candace's high chair. So David would often step in to buy groceries or help cover rent, you know, whatever they needed. Um, unfortunately police were called to the home multiple times and Todd was once charged with assaulting Angie. The charges were dropped though because Angie didn't have time to go to court. She was taking care of kids, trying to hold down a job, trying to financially support them. Um, so who could blame her in that situation? But Angie took her kids and left in 1992 and as one could imagine this was a very scary step to take. Um, I hesitate to say that you know, she finally got brave enough or she finally developed the courage. I don't want to imply that people in domestic abuse situations just aren't courageous enough or aren't brave enough. It is such a scary thing to kind of uproot your life and, and move on. And I don't think there's any emotional requirements of that. Um, but she did take that step, and Candace ended up celebrating her third birthday in a woman's shelter. Um, Candace was really tough. So she would often stand in between Todd and Angie when they were fighting. And, you know, when her father was physically aggressive with her mother, she would, you know, jump in and kind of try to beat him up as as that was going on, which is not something any child should have to do, but just shows where resentment could have come from and where kind of instability came from in her life. Um So the Lincoln County Department of Social Services was aware of Angie's family. There was a report made when one of their children showed up to school with some bruises after falling. So Todd and Angie tried to move away from the county so they could avoid being questioned, but they were eventually tracked down by authorities. All three of their children were placed into foster care for the first time. When Candace returned, she hugged her mother tightly and begged not to let her be taken away again. Um, The second time Candace was taken away happened after Mary and Angie got into a really bad fight. Mary took off with the car and Angie didn't have a phone. Um, So she wasn't able to pick Candace up from school that day. Obviously, she didn't have a car um, and she didn't have a phone to let them know that she wasn't going to make it. So Candace was taken away by social services and at that point became a ward of the state. Not surprisingly, Candace was not adjusting well to being in foster care. She would have crying fits, angry outbursts. I think this is a typical reaction of any child who is taken from their home. Um, so, David and Mary thought about taking the kids in at this point, but they were worried about Todd being around. And, David, at this point, was also caring for his elderly mother. They worried the kids wouldn't get the attention they needed, uh, and David thought, "Hey, you know, these parents are going through background checks. The the adoptive parents, they you know probably have more money than we do. They're really, you know, making this active choice to love these children. So, at that point, he really thought that they might be better off being adopted by someone else." Um, So Candace was adopted by a nurse practitioner who was looking to grow her family. She got a new birth certificate with a new name, Candace Elizabeth Newmaker. So Jean Elizabeth Newmaker, she gave Candace her own middle name to kind of establish that family connection, um, was really great with Candace. She took two months off of work to help Candace adjust to being in a new environment. She enrolled Candace in one of the top public schools in the county. Um, but still, Candace had a really hard time adjusting and, you know, she was especially wary of her male teacher. Um, things were, were rough at first, but Candace was able to warm up to this new environment. She was known for being a helper to younger students. Um, she also, you know, kind of jumped at the opportunity to, to help the students in wheelchairs. She would wheel them around to whatever places they needed to go to. Um, and so Candace was doing okay in school. You know, she wasn't the best student that they ever had, but she had adjusted well. Um, But there were some issues behind the scenes and Jean did the right thing. She started to seek out some professional help. She consulted doctors and mental health professionals. They tried medications for Candace, hoping it would help even out her mood, help her focus. She had a, a lot of difficulty focusing in class and I think they attributed it to ADHD. Um, but, you know, again, considering this shift that she she had gone through and that she hadn't been there for very long, I think it's understandable that a child would have, you know, outbursts, have difficulty focusing. She's still in that adjustment period, um, not to mention her entire life has been unstable and, you know, she, she had a really difficult childhood. She was really young at this point still, so, um through looking for resources for attachment disorders gene was connected to connell watkins in colorado connell was an unlicensed psychotherapist who worked under dr foster klein they were considered to be pioneers in the attachment disorder field dr klein believed everything could be traced back to infancy and in order for a child to be successful you just needed to go back and reset the clock which i feel like is a very freudian uh kind of look at it of i mean i agree that during infancy if there are issues that that can lead to to trouble uh not trouble but you know uh, maybe difficulty adjusting later in life but you know it was freud who was like oh if you don't get enough like oral fixation when you're a child then you might be addicted to smoking um just weird connections like that that really aren't necessarily connected but um (laughs) so candace was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder we also call it rad um so that's what i'll just be saying to shorten it up um so it's thought that rad is caused when a child is unable to form a bond with their parent or caretaker during infancy children who have been adopted or who have been placed in an institution are at a higher risk for developing rad not not meaning to say that every child who um experiences this will develop rad but it's just you know puts you at a higher risk there's pretty limited research on rad after early childhood but signs and symptoms may include experiencing depression or unexplained sadness not seeking comfort from your parent or caregiver when you're distressed being withdrawn from social interactions um from others, not asking for for help when you need it, or not emoting. Um, so, as always, consult a medical professional if you're, you know, if you think someone you know has RAD, if you think a child has RAD. But, um, you know, pediatric psychiatrist or psychologist. If you have any concerns about any children in your life, that's just a very brief breakdown of what RAD might look at and look like. And I think we see some of that um, throughout the descriptions of Candace. Um. So again, we don't have a ton of information about why some children develop rad and some don't. The good news is there are preventative measures that can be taken to help reduce the risk of developing rad. These include providing a safe and nurturing environment for your child, responding to their cues. So if they're crying, go ahead and comfort them. If they're making noises, go ahead and see what's going on. Providing touch when appropriate and seeking out parenting classes or groups just to to learn more and just give yourself more opportunities to be connected with with your child. um. So I'm going to throw in a little intro to psychology lesson here for free. You're welcome. <laughs> it's, basic, it's basically like being in college, guys. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, if you have ever taken an intro to psychology course um, or any course about, you know, development or what whatever i'm pretty sure i heard about it in every single psychology class i took for you know forever but you'll probably recognize the name dr harry harlow i'm going to include a link to a youtube video of the study that i'm talking about um and you can also watch it if you like cute little baby monkeys um but in the 1950s and 1960s the field of psychology was dominated by psychoanalysts so that's like what freud is where he's like oh if you didn't you know, if you had butt problems when you were a kid, then you're going to be anal retentive when you grow up. You know, that sort of thing. Um, dominated by psychoanalysts and behaviorists. So they believe that babies became attached to their caregivers pretty much solely because their mothers provided them food. On the surface, you know, this makes sense. We need food for survival. Our moms provide us food. This could offer an explanation for why children attached to their mothers. But it's important to note um, before I continue that Dr. Harlow's experiments would likely be deemed unethical today. So take everything with a grain of salt, but Harlow took infant rhesus monkeys. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. I forgot to look it up before I started, but, um. R-H-E-S-U-S. You would think after I've heard it so many times that it would have stuck in my brain. I'm going to say re- rhesus monkeys. Um, so he separated them from their mothers and peers. They were placed in complete isolation. And the baby monkeys displayed atypical behaviors like pacing around their cage, engaging in self-harm, and staring blankly. Even when they were introduced to reintroduced to other monkeys, they didn't know how to act in a group setting and often remained isolated. Um... So Harlow noticed the monkeys appeared to develop an attachment to their cloth diapers. Um, He theorized that they developed this attachment because the cloth was soft and soothing, similar to a caregiver's touch. This led him to develop his famous surrogate mother experiment. That's the YouTube link I was talking about earlier. So Dr. Harlow, again, took baby monkeys away from their mothers and put them in with a soft cloth mother and a wire, like, pointy, not comfortable mother. The monkeys either received food from the soft mom or from the wire mom. In both conditions, the baby monkeys spent significantly more time with the soft mom and would seek out the soft mom when experiencing distress. This experiment showed how important it is to have social needs met as well as your physical needs um it may sound like common sense now we know a lot more but at the time this was pretty groundbreaking stuff i think um you know some people kind of have i feel like older people kind of have that mindset of like oh if a baby's crying you need to leave it it needs to learn to to like get over it or whatever but nowadays we see the importance of providing that social support (laughs) Um, so, okay, we've established the importance of physical touch and meeting social needs. And, um, so there are some differing opinions on how to build healthy connections with kids who are having difficulty creating and maintaining relationships. Um, so, rewind, getting back into the story. Jean signed a contract with Connell for $7,000 for a two-week rebirthing therapy, uh, clinic session. So, Jean and Candace would stay in the home of one of Connell's assistants, Britta St. Clair. Jean thought that this sounded really promising. You know, you would get to stay in someone's home instead of staying in a hotel. Um, Candace met with a private practice psychiatrist, Dr. John Alston, and the prosecutor said her Medicaid, the prosecutors in the case later on, they would say that her medications were changed really frequently during these two weeks of treatment, which is not great. Um, for many psychotropic medications, there's often an adjustment period. And I think you want to be extra considerate when, well, even when you're changing medications, there are Periods where certain medications, you need to be weaned off of them in order to avoid withdrawal, any additional side effects. So it's very concerning that this doctor was changing her medications so frequently and, um, you know, maybe taking her off certain medications that might have caused a physical reaction um, and not giving her time to adjust to the medications and really get the full benefit um, but each day, Connell's office manager, who they were staying with, uh, Britta's fiance, Jack McDaniel, would give Candace her medications. Important to note, he had no medical training, no therapy training. Uh, it's not apparent. I mean, he was just there and was engaged to the office manager, and those appear to be his only qualifications to provide medication, which again is very concerning. You know, I worked in um, a residential facility and not just anyone was allowed to, to give the kids medications. It was like a, a nurse who would come in. Um, so that's questionable and it gets worse. Um, so Candace was told to call him Daddy Jack. What? This is concerning to me for so many reasons a the fact that we have already seen that Candace has difficulty um you know and there needs to be kind of a period to establish trust with males since mm-hmm. you know that's already been established that you know in this situation you might i might not recommend that she have like a male therapist because she is uncomfortable around males
1: 100% and then, yeah
0: yeah and then she's being kind of forced to take medication um So, and like gross, call him Daddy Jack. She has issues with attachment, has issues with, you know, her parents. So that's just extra concerning to me that, I mean, it'd be one thing if she chose to call him that. And even that, I feel like would be something that needed to be addressed in therapy is why do you feel this immediate connection with this man? This might be a little bit of an unhealthy relationship. Where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. Um just so already so many red flags um you can't
1: see my face but there's like a look of disgust
0: i know i know this whole time natalie this whole time i'm just like hitting my head against a brick wall (laughs) it gets worse (laughs) metaphorically it gets worse um oh my gosh so daddy jack was paid 700 dollars to help connell write a report again no medical training no like therapy background nothing Nothing at all that would make him qualified, but sure, pay mean, him seven hundred dollars. Like, why does he even want to do this? <laughs> they paid him seven hundred dollars, Natalie. I like, mean, why wouldn't he That's not you that much money it? at the end of the day. My God, for like not doing that much work for just giving I a guess, kid pills.
1: But whatever. Ugh. <sighs> okay, Keep going. I'm having I'm, to I'm buckled in <laughs>
0: to mentally prepare myself for this. It's just really this. This gets really tough and really hard for me. So, I, throwing in a trigger warning here. Um so as a therapist it's really difficult to for it was really difficult for me to read this information but i think it's important to share and see where things went wrong and where see where things could have been stopped and and what might we do differently for next time um so as a part of this therapy this rebirthing therapy Candace was wrapped in a blue flannel sheet and was covered by large pillows Four adults put their weight on Candace to simulate contractions. Their total weight was approximately 673 pounds. We have this whole incident on video and uh, reading through a description of the video, to me, there's no ambiguity about what happened next. Candace literally told them, I'm going to die now. No, I don't want to, but I'm going to die. Uh, it's so messed up um and later the therapist would say oh but like all the kids who have done this said they're gonna die and they ended up being fine so we weren't worried about it which is just appalling appalling (laughs) um yeah so next the therapist replied that's the way the baby feels you want to die okay then die what Connell would later argue that she believed they were speaking metaphorically Candace wasn't actually being reborn so she couldn't actually be dying either um I can (laughs) switch over so there's a a transcript of the the video um so she was you know like I said or Maybe I didn't say it, but she... Maybe I'll say it later, but she was stuck in her own vomit and her... She had defecated herself because of all of this pressure that was being put on her. Um, so the one therapist said, she gets to be stuck in her own puke and poop. Uh, Connell said, uh-huh, it's her own life, quitter. Uh, Candace's last words were at that point, she said no. Um, the other therapist... Her name's Julie. Julie said, mama got you this far. Now it's up to you. Connell said, Candace is used to making her life everybody else's problem. She's not used to living her own life. Julie then said, quitter, 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 quit, 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 quit. She's a quitter. Um, So at that point, Connell left. Um, Her, Jean, the mom left. And um, McDaniel so that's julie took uh connell's place um julie said this baby doesn't want to live she's a quitter um connell told the uh julie and britta who was there also at that point to take a break so connell and julie were just talking about some chit chat while candace was still in the blanket about their dream homes and a million dollar property nearby that was being remodeled. And uh, Connell said, let's talk to the twerp. So they unwrapped Candace and realized, um, Connell said, oh, there she is sleeping in her vomit. Candace was not sleeping. Candace was dead. Um, so she hadn't made any noise for for 30 minutes. Um, Candace was blue and unconscious, and she died in Denver in a a hospital the next day. Wow. Isn't that just, like, the craziest thing you've ever heard? It's just, like,
1: the perfect storm of wrongness. (laughs) Like, I don't...
0: The issue to me, though, is that there's no ambiguity there of... Yeah. Just even the way that they're... Even take away the rebirthing part no therapist should ever talk to a child like that that is verbally abusive language i believe coming from your therapist i agree that is just the language alone is extremely concerning and then everything else is just like i can't even wrap my head around how that could happen (sighs) i know i I just need like there's like nothing (laughs) i speechless yes so even before the death of candace rebirthing was always considered to be an extremely controversial alternative therapy it was developed by psychotherapist leonard Orr in the 1970s um so typically the treatment focuses on breathing techniques and would rarely last longer than 15 minutes so really concerning that it escalated to this point and It was unclear to me if it, you know, breathing techniques are something that are wonderful, very much utilized in therapy, and mindfulness. Um, This is just, you know, really spiraled out of control. So potential upside is before this incident, rebirthing was relatively unknown and was not a very popular treatment. And obviously after this was not, I mean, it was popular, but very much for the wrong reasons so the therapy team was charged with knowingly or recklessly committing child abuse resulting in death uh the two therapists so i realized i messed up i think watkins earlier when i said oh my goodness what did i do um i thought that was the name Who is Watkins? I guess Watkins would have been one of her aides. I mistakenly spoke and said it was Julie, her co-therapist. So my apologies there. Um, So, so now I lost my spot. So both Connell and her co-therapist, Julie Ponder, pled not guilty. Um, The defense lawyers tried to argue that this was all an accident, Um, So sure, Connell and Julie certainly did not intend to kill Candace, but they very much chose to engage in a controversial therapy that I feel like any reasonable person could see that it probably could have resulted in suffocation. I'm surprised that so many other children had gone through without experiencing suffocation. I feel like that's like saying... Oh, I'm going to hit this person with my car driving 60 miles per hour, but I didn't mean to kill them. So I feel like it's the same thing. Like, this Mm -hmm. is dangerous. Um, They also argued that it was possible Candace died from a rare heart condition or that she died as a result from her medication changes. However, the coroner indicated her cause of death was suffocation. She was blue when they unwrapped her, so it only makes sense that that was the cause of death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of Connell's former, okay, Gary, Um, (laughs) some of Connell's former clients testified saying how helpful it had been for them to do the therapy. Um, So I'm not sure how often it comes up that clients would testify on behalf of a therapist. It seems, I mean, in grad school and throughout training, we get a lot of information about a therapist potentially Um, testifying on behalf of their clients, um, because confidentiality is very important. You know, you would want to respect the wishes of your client and, you know, there's subpoenas, all that great stuff. Um, But it really seems unethical to me to ask a client to testify, because not only Uh are you asking your client to do a favor for you that I think extends I mean I think it's normal for um, therapists to sometimes request like testimonials from their patients but that are you know they change the name of the patient or you know keep their information somewhat confidential but and that's you know I feel like a pretty standard ask where you're not really requiring too much of a person but asking a client to come in and testify for you in a trial is asking them a huge favor and creates a weird dynamic in that relationship. And you're also asking them to break their own confidentiality, um, which is such an important you know, thing to maintain throughout the therapeutic relationship that I'm not sure... I tried to look it up, but all the information I could find was, again, on a therapist testifying on behalf of a client. So if anyone knows, I'm really curious because I feel like I've never heard of a case before where clients were testifying um, on behalf of their, their therapist. But the videotape session, the very damning thing, it was played in court. And after watching it, I think it would be really hard for anyone to say that Candace's death was a complete accident ironically connell and julie would videotape the session so that they could show parents how successful the treatment had been but in this case it really was the nail in their coffin so jean kept candace's death a secret for as long as she could when she returned to durham north carolina rumors started to spread about how candace died in in, you know nobody's wildest dreams could they imagine the actual outcome they thought it might have been like a horseback riding accident, or that she was seriously injured at camp. Candace's entire fourth grade class attended her funeral, but there was no mention of the cause of her death until about a month later, when Connell, Julie, and her assistants were arrested. It made national news, so many members of the community found out the truth about Candace's death just while they were watching TV. Um, The pediatric Pediatricians and the psychologists in North Carolina that were previously involved with treating Candace were really confused. One professional said they urged Jean to seek more traditional therapy, like playing games or doing talk therapy. They said, if I knew she was taking this kid to some wackos in Colorado, I'd say don't do it. The fact of the matter was that Candace was having a typical reaction to being in and out of the system. And this um, practitioner just believed that Candace could have benefited from having a little bit more time to adjust. Angie had always remained hopeful that Candace would come back into her life. She had found her way back to her mother. She was sure her daughter would do the same. So even though there was a strained relationship, um, you know, I think the love was always there in their family. Um, So, five months and three days after Candace's death, Angie was finally informed that her daughter had passed away during a therapy session. Angie was shocked. They smothered her. Angie had finally said, um, when she reacted, Um, that was my daughter. How did she die from a blanket? Isn't this why they say don't put pillows on babies? don't put bags by them, it's stupid, it's stupid. You don't put a child under a pillow and push on her. (sighs) This is, like, can you just imagine your child? Her child was taken, ward by the state and given up for adoption outside of her, outside of her will. And I think, you know, this was quite some time, you know, about 20, 15 to 20 years ago. So there have been a lot of changes in the system since then. I think that there's been a lot of learning from situations like this. I know now that um, there is so much consideration taken into place because in this, in this case, it didn't really sound like there was much thought when the children were removed from the home. Um, You know, we we definitely know a lot more now. We know that, you know, removing a child from the home is really a last resort situation. And, you know, especially in, in terms of adoption, you, I don't think nowadays, at least I would hope not, that there is a lot more rigorous of a process. And, you know, the parent is more involved throughout the process. They try to get the parent help. Um, and try to do as as much as they can to keep the, the children with their parents um, before before they're adopted. So to me, it's really concerning that this all sounds like it happens so fast. Um, and that, you know, Angie really wanted to keep her children in her life, and I believe she would have done anything to, to do that. Um, but so Connell and Julie, were convicted and received uh, 16-year prison sentences. Britta St. Clair and Jack McDaniel pled guilty to criminally negligent child abuse and were given 10 years of probation and 1,000 hours of community service in a plea bargain. Jean Newmaker uh, pled guilty to neglect and abuse charges. She was given a four-year suspended sentence, and after that, the charges were dropped and expunged from her record. Connell did try to appeal her conviction, but it failed. She was paroled in 2008 after serving seven years of her 16-year sentence. What do you think about that? I um, don't feel like
1: that is enough.
0: Right? I feel like people get more...
1: For not paying their taxes? Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. I feel like all of the sentencing I feel like could have been like one we're talking about a child like Mm -hmm. obviously taking any life but taking any life is bad 100% but I do think that like when we're talking about particularly vulnerable populations there's like an added like layer there that I feel like needs to be like requires a harsher like sentence kind of like there was that case of that like I think med like tech or whatever who like was raping like a woman in a coma like like Mm -hmm. things like that where I'm like the person is completely defenseless like this like whatever you were going to charge like you would charge somebody for doing that to a like you know non-defenseless person like double it (laughs) <laughs> right,
0: so, right. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, especially too. She was unlicensed, yeah. and she was kind of peddling this, this therapy, which I think should be a crime in itself. Um, and in terms of, you know, thinking back to my time working within a residential facility, we got extensive training on how to safely re- uh, restrain the kids. Um, you know, if there was ever a point where uh, a child became a danger to themselves or others, um, then unfortunately it would, you know, escalate to the point of a restraint in order to prevent harm to to other children or to themselves. Um, and it's, you know, again, a very last case, um, you know, last resort. You do as best as you can to de-escalate the situation. You know, going hands on is really what you do just to prevent like extreme harm to others um so in this case she wasn't even being restrained she wasn't even um causing harm to someone else but you know you learn throughout um you know safe restraint training that you cannot smother children or there's certain positions that people cannot be put in because it will cause them to lose oxygen or to you know pass out and the point is to not harm the child it's just to to prevent um you know to prevent harm so this is just like mind-blowing it would be one thing if like candace was having an outburst and was you know hitting the walls and hurting herself or was about to run into the middle of traffic um so they like restrained her as best they could but there was an accident something went wrong um This is just unacceptable. This is just, there's no excuses I can come up with in my head. Um, Like, those people shouldn't have been in the room to begin with.
1: Never (laughs) should have gotten to this point. She literally
0: was saying, I'm dying, I'm dying. She vomited on herself. She defecated herself. Like, she was silent for 30 minutes, probably not moving at that point because she had passed out. I just can't I can't even in my mind. I don't think there's any gray areas. I can't can't come up with anything. Even when you think about like like
1: more recent cases in um I don't know just thinking about like cases of like different like levels of or i don't know different types of police brutality and things like that i feel like as a society we just need to start taking it seriously when someone says i'm dying Mm -hmm. or i can't breathe or like i feel like my neck is going to whatever it is i feel like if someone is telling you that they're feeling a certain level of distress especially at that level what's the risk in believing them Exactly. Right? Like, what's the risk in saying, oh, wait, maybe she is dying. Maybe she can't breathe. Maybe whatever. Let's let re-examine the situation Let's, uh, take and a break. Like, help her. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, it's one thing if a child scrapes their knee and it's like, I'm dying, I'm dying. Or if you put a kid in a timeout and they're sitting in the chair screaming, I'm dying, I'm dying. At that point, sure. Like, that's not, you know, there's nothing really that's putting that child at risk they may be having an extreme emotional reaction for whatever reason and that can be you know processed in its own way but if yeah if you're like if you put someone in a chokehold and they say they're dying and they can't breathe why not believe them why not yeah, yeah. you know
1: and i mean even in the, even like you know in your examples of like kids um, you know being a little dramatic even then, it's clearly showing you that they're not emotionally processing this well. Right, right. So there's that still, needs some sort of intervention as well. Still, so. Yeah,
0: there's still a reason <laughs> to be concerned. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like,
1: I am baffled at these people. I assume that they're all walking among us right now. So
0: that's a shame. You're literally but in Colorado. So that might be good. They might I literally be. House. Um, although i will say connell was placed under intense supervision and she's not allowed to have contact with children or do any counseling work which she should have been allowed to in the first place um i did want to go back to my transcript i figure out where i went wrong um so i um mcdaniel that was uh jack daddy jack he was the one who interjected and said this baby doesn't want to live she's a quitter but otherwise the the conversation was between julie ponder and Cona Watkins. um and i will have the link to clarify all that i'm so sorry for any mistakes i made um i was kind of reading that on the fly and figuring out the last names and the first names did a little backwards um but i guess the one silver lining from all of this is that candace's story inspired what would be known as candace's law in colorado in north carolina um which outlawed dangerous reenactments of these birthing rituals so in those two states it is currently outlawed good yeah that is the story of candace Newmaker. i feel like i just
1: um ran a mile do you not feel exhausted
0: from reading I that. feel emotionally exhausted. Yeah, I'm like I I just cannot believe any of it. I just can't. Like it's just so concerning and I think mm-hmm. just, you know, establishes I think it just what's especially frustrating to me is that it happens so quickly obviously if a child like this child was still going through an adjustment period like it's you can't expect i don't think that there's some you know magic therapy that like reenacting birth or um mm-hmm. whatever it's this was she was what did i say 10 years old when she was killed um so that's 10 years of you know going through infancy having an unstable environment, going through childhood having an unstable environment. You can't expect 10 years of neglect of abuse to just disappear overnight. I think... um,
1: Certainly not by reenacting someone's birth.
0: Exactly. That's just (laughs) so stupid. Like Yeah, that's so dumb. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't... It's like... (sighs) I just like... I'm screaming internally and I'm like, really frustrated regardless
1: I doubt like the circumstances of her literal birth were what was causing her distress
0: exactly <laughs> like, exactly like I
1: don't like I I can follow the logic of how they got there but the logic is wrong so
0: and with children who are experiencing these kinds of um you know, emotional, um, outbursts who are having attachment difficulty the most important thing is just to provide that child with a stable environment mm-hmm. and to be as consistent as possible yeah. so even if the child is having outbursts is maybe being violent is you know extremely distressed um withdrawn or you know overreactive is just for you as the parent to be consistent towards the yeah. child and develop like a
1: safe like consistent support supportive environment I right. feel like providing that it's like unconditional love
0: exactly unconditional support and through that is where a child is going to learn to establish trust and to adjust um, better to to this it's just it is appalling to me that this mother too was a nurse practitioner so it just feels like to me that she also should have known better about, you know, I'm sure nurses receive training on how not to suffocate their patients. So yeah. why why would you let your child be placed in, in this potentially deadly situation?
1: Yeah. Step one, provide a good, safe, supportive, consistent environment for your kids. Step two find legitimately licensed help (laughs) like yes simple yes you know well it
0: was concerning because there was a doctor but i think also trust your gut you know um do your own research on the types of therapies and be an advocate in your own care um and especially if you're wanting to um that is such an incredible thing if you choose to be a foster parent or choose to adopt um an older child I think that's so wonderful, but do it right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, There are lots of resources out there to help you. And, you know, paying $7,000 for some two-week magic therapy. That should have just been red flag enough. And everything else from there, Daddy Jack. (laughs) Um, You know, medications, I think, are an important thing. I think... Um, kids can often, you know, when they're shifted from facility to facility or foster home to foster home, they get put on a medication here, a medication there, and then pretty soon they're taking medications to deal with the side effects from other medications. So, um, you know, that's something to be mindful of as well. But just, gosh, I just, like, (sighs) I'm glad that's over with. Now we get to listen to your fun case.
1: We're going to travel back to the far, far, far past of March of 2017. (laughs) That's a joke because this year has lasted forever. (laughs)
0: 2017. (laughs) What was I even doing in 2017? I was Um, in my last year of grad school. I was still in Colorado.
1: Yeah. And I wasn't married yet. Oh, my God. such. I was was in hell, though, at our old job
0: oh my gosh i'm so glad it's not 2017 (laughs) those were like those are the times that i look back on fondly but also the times that i was like insanely miserable and like same just maybe but it was great to go
1: through it with you you were oh yeah a great support. we we got to suffer together
0: (laughs) (laughs) i remember we would walk to to trader trader joe's together walk to um starbucks together at work oh yeah, and you would always buy me pizza i was so poor <laughs> and you would buy me cinnamon rolls you were like the nicest oh yeah. human being i was i also me you were buying like my cinnamon sugar mama
1: <laughs> okay um i i think uh me buying cinnamon rolls though was really um me supporting my own addiction
0: <laughs> wait you got those from cineholic right
1: yeah i had had such a serious obsession did i forget
0: i might have forgotten to tell you there's a cinaholic in naperville so like where i grew up so when i was back in naperville we got cinaholic and it (sighs) made me think of you they don't have any more here
1: they're (gasps) all gone so i have to make my own cinnamon rolls it's so depressing what (sighs) anyway open cineholic Cineholic guys now back to the case (laughs) Uh, So in March of 2017 24 year old Sarah Mitchell And her husband 21 year old Travis Mitchell welcomed two Twin girls to the world The girls named Evelyn and Jennifer Mitchell And so Jennifer is not spelled The traditional way it's spelled like Um that one Actress from he's not that Into you Jennifer Goodwin with a G Mm Okay and so, just wanted to put that out there. It's Jennifer, um, but I'm gonna say Jennifer. I hate that. That's um, like Jeff
0: and Joff.
1: You know, like G E O
0: F F, or like Joff. Rachel and Rachael. Ah, I hate that. I hate when people like reply to my emails and they'll spell my name R A C H A E L, because you're adding in a, an extra letter. Like, yeah. why? That's so unnecessary. And who spells their name that way?
1: no one cool i know someone like that i work with her hey if you're listening okay (laughs) So rachel so the girls evelyn and jennifer mitchell were born seven weeks premature in their grandparents home in oregon city oregon Um, What a creative name for that city. (laughs) (laughs) So in addition to the new parents, 60 other people were present for the births of Jennifer and and Evelyn, including family members and members of their church called the Followers of of Christ Church. So Followers of Christ Church, I might say FCC sometimes. We'll see. And so that church is specifically based in Oregon City. I'm not certain that they have other like branches um, throughout the country or anywhere else, but I'm saying they're based in Oregon and that's the only place they exist. So um, those in charge of the delivery weren't doctors, they weren't midwives, they weren't even doulas. They were birthing assistants that were also members of the church. Okay. Um, So one key feature of their church, followers of Christ Church, is that that the members practice something called faith healing. Um,
0: Do you know what faith healing is? No, but it sounds like a whole bunch of baloney.
1: (laughs) I will take that back.
0: I will take that back. Okay. I don't mean to like poop on people's beliefs. I will say I read this really interesting book. I think it was called What Patients Say and What Doctors Hear. And basically Mm -hmm. it talked all about um like placebos um and you know listening patients blah 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 but it did say that you know there were a lot of studies where they had found that patients you know there are a lot of um communities that do like healing rituals or things like that um and they found that patients did respond better to that so i think that there's a lot to be said about placebos but i think importantly combining these rituals and things that help you feel comfortable along with um evidence-based medical treatment is is the way to go so i won't i take back my immediate disgust um i think that <laughs> having um you know a positive attitude and um doing something that makes you feel comfortable feeling supported by um friends and family can make a huge difference in your treatment um but also consider putting in those uh, evidence-based things too that's my sh- my little spiel continue
1: yeah i mostly agree with rachel i may have like the i may speak about this a little bit more controversially and um the whole world is welcome to judge me that's fine i don't care um, and so so yeah faith healing is pretty much exactly what it sounds like i went onto wikipedia and just like kind of copied and pasted like how they describe it and so it's the practice of prayer it's a practice of using uh wait no it's the practice of prayer and gestures that are believed by some to elicit divine intervention in spiritual and physical healing especially in um the christian practice um and so i know for a lot of southerners and this actually may be true for other regions um i i I don't know specifically, but I know in the South, they often refer to that as like laying hands on someone, which is like not to be confused with like laying hands on someone in the context of like, I don't know, using it as a euf- euphemism for fighting. <laughs> yeah, if but, someone's um, sick, you
0: just punch them right
1: in the face. <laughs> no. So better. like laying hands on someone and like, you know, I've heard. Okay, so I we actually had this situation in our family. During the holidays last year, and I was like very annoyed with it, where um, we had a family member who has cancer um, pass out in like the middle of Thanksgiving dinner, just pass out. Oh, wow! And so we call um, like an ambulance, and I um, I think the for from my perspective, I was like sitting next to the person who passed out, and so from my perspective, they needed. It looked like the house was really hot and it looked like they were dehydrated and like overheating. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I grabbed a towel, cold water and like was like dabbing it on um, on the person's like face and neck and stuff. And they were starting to come to Mm -hmm. like when they came to immediately was just kind of like laughing and, you know, but then people just started kind of crowding around. And there was one particular person who um, is not like in like my family, but it's like an Mm in-law of the family. Um, who I don't really know. This person's qualifications. My understanding is that they own a gym, <laughs> but <laughs> well, was, Natalie, they're um, an expert. Trust everything they say. <laughs> was was put like pushed me basically out of the way and was like putting hands on the person who had passed out and was basically like, by the power of Christ, I pass. I I cast out the spirit of cancer mm. and I'm like. I like, I was just getting so frustrated because I'm like, like the paramedics or 911 or whoever is on the phone and they're like, here's what you need to do. Like, go ahead, fan her, like whatever. And here they are, like apparently curing cancer
0: with their hands. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, didn't, didn't um, 911 say that they needed someone who owns a gym to come place hands on them <laughs> and scare the spirit of cancer away? Yeah, I would I mean, think that would be their recommendation.
1: Unfortunately, they did not recommend that. And so I don't know. All that's it was just very frustrating for me because, like, I, I believe in faith. I believe in people's rights to practice the, the, the way that they want to practice. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, like, God can hear you anywhere. So I don't understand why you need, like, why can't you be in a corner while somebody is actually providing, like, medical intervention and saying the same prayer? Or, but yeah, I guess just, this might
0: be controversial. I don't know if you should cut this out or keep this in, but if, Mm -hmm. you know, God grants people the power to grow, grants people knowledge, um, so you know, in in a sense couldn't God be sending a doctor into your life to help I a hundred percent agree. You know, provide healing, provide treatment. Um, that's just my two cents about the the situation. I guess it's not that yeah. controversial, but... No,
1: um, I, I 100% agree. Like, if you do believe in faith, then there is... It is reasonable to believe that God is working through the hands oh, of the doctor wait, the nurse, uh, or the nurse the physical therapist or whatever that's treating you. There's
0: some story or something. I don't know if it's from the Bible, but it's like someone someone like fell over on the side of the road and uh like a person walked by to help them and the person on the ground was like no god will help me through this and they were like okay and they kept walking and then another person came and offered help and they were like no 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 god is going to help me through this and they kept walking um and i guess eventually um god was like dude i sent two people to help you i sent sent a dozen people come on
1: yeah no i yeah that's the perfect metaphor for I feel like what we're kind of saying. But so anyway, the followers of Christ church believe in in faith healing and by design, they actually reject all modern medicine and medical care. And so instead, if you have anything from a migraine to cancer, kind of like the situation that I just explained, they rely on prayer and anointment oil to basically cure you and so unsurprisingly throughout her pregnancy Sarah Sarah Mitchell chose not to seek any medical care in fact the only preparation sorry the only preparation that she chose to do was reading the book what to expect when you're expecting um she never even had an ultrasound so when Sarah gave birth that March day she didn't even know she was giving birth to twins and I have a feeling that because she didn't have um like ultrasounds or anything That it's very possible that she didn't even know That she was actually pre- like um, Giving birth early um, Because a lot of times You don't exactly know where you are In terms of your stage of pregnancy mm-hmm. Like you, you can like guess Based on like you know when you did the deed Or when your last um, When your last menstrual cycle. Um, menstrual cycle was But the doctors are the ones who usually are able to give you A pretty you know good estimate mm-hmm. Of how far along you are um. And so, yeah, she didn't, had no idea
0: that she was giving birth to twins. And so that sounds like a my nightmare. The- I'm sorry, but <laughs> could you imagine like one comes that out and then there's like, terrifying. oh, God, there's another one. There's another uh, one. There's another one. And then you have like four babies and you're going home. And, and you are just like a clown something. pulling like scarves out of its mouth. There's just more babies, more babies, more babies. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that literally sounds like a nightmare I might have. But OK, go on. And so
1: as a lot of people know, um, babies that are born prematurely are also often susceptible to medical complications um, that sometimes are actually able to be managed successfully with medical intervention. And so uh, regardless of if it's twins that are born prematurely or, you know, just a baby that's born prematurely, usually medical teams are kind of prepared like they know, like, you know, there's a set of typical um, things that that baby might be experiencing. And so they're kind of prepared to immediately, you know, take that baby into the NICU and do, you know, XYZ for to help their lungs develop or whatever it need be. And so shortly after Jennifer and Evelyn were born, they both developed complications related to their breathing. For the next several hours, Jennifer's underdeveloped lungs struggled to take in any oxygen to help support her life. Members of the church opted to lay hands on her to heal her while her father anointed her with oil in the hopes that the power of prayer would, I don't know, deliver Jennifer a new set of lungs. I'm not sure. Or help her lungs develop or I guess deliver her from the breathing difficulty, I guess. I don't know. But... Jennifer continued to struggle breathing and was in and was visibly in distress and she was like it got to a point where she was actually losing color which is one of the ways that people like doctors and nurses actually kind of measure distress after birth um for a baby like if a baby comes out blue uh-oh yeah problem. That's, if a baby that's a problem. comes out no pink uh-oh problem um and so yeah and so she was losing color so still choosing against medical intervention all 60 people in that household and um jennifer's parents just continued to just like take turns laying hands on her they were like swapping in and out um And so none of the 60 people in attendance in the house that day attempted to call for help, nor did they even consider taking either baby to the hospital. And again, this was on the basis of their religious beliefs. Um, Unfortunately, Jennifer Mitchell died four hours after she was born. Sarah Mitchell, um, her mother, was not a stranger to this exact scenario. Six years prior, in 2011, Sarah's sister Shannon Hickman and her husband, um, I think Dale, found found themselves in a similar situation shannon had given birth to a newborn baby named david who like Evan, evelyn and jennifer was also born premature complications developed and david died eight hours after birth due to oregon's laws sarah's sister and brother-in-law were both arrested and convicted of manslaughter and so for this is this kind of detail in particular like makes me like furious even more because it's like you at least know (laughs) like you have had this happen in your family and you know kind of the steps for like medical intervention even if you don't personally believe it but I also feel like people should be super risk averse Mm -hmm. and so if you've seen like your sibling go to prison over this then I feel like you should have at least like heated kind of that like i don't know legal like advice almost like hmm this is against the law in oregon Mm -hmm. i should probably you know give this kid medical attention but regardless sarah um and her husband travis opted not to get medical attention for jennifer and so sarah's daughter jennifer actually died in the same room that her cousin died years prior Mm. And so it's like a true tragedy for the family. But it's also, in my opinion, just completely avoidable. But anyway, so following the death of Jennifer, an elder in their church reported the death to the Clackamas. I don't know if I'm saying that right. County medical examiner. Uh, the medical examiner named Eric Tonsvelt, um arrived at the house and found Sarah holding Jennifer's lifeless body. Eric asked a ton of questions to the members of the Followers of Christ Church. And he reported that everyone gave him vague, stilted and forced answers about the delivery delivery, and the events leading to Jennifer's passing. Um, so nobody was really answering any of the questions straight. Um, nobody would even actually look him in the eye when he was speaking to them. And so the medical examiner saw Evelyn and he urged the family to take Evelyn to the hospital because she needed medical care. And Sarah's father, Walter White, which isn't that the guy from Breaking Bad?
0: Oh, Walter White. Like, Isn't that his name? Uh, yeah. Am I wrong? <laughs> um. Anyway, I was just like, what a yeah, name. I mean, I guess it sounds like a common name. Is it? Like White. I've never met Walter. anyone named he Walter. He got his name before the show. <laughs> yeah, he got his name before the show uh older <laughs> people true. um anyway people walter was more common yeah or like corgis are named walter corgis do you know many <laughs> yeah that's like a, a common name for like corgis to name your your corgi like walter and call it wally i feel like it's common to give corgis like old man names like winston walter okay. fair fair um W names. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so,
1: so Sarah's father, Walter White, responded to Eric's advice to take Evelyn to the hospital with, thank you for your input. And so clearly Eric was able to sense that Sarah and Travis were not going to heed his advice. And so he actually went straight to law enforcement um, and told them the situation. And law enforcement was actually successful in persuading Travis and Sarah to take Evelyn to the hospital. So good job, law enforcement.
0: Um, And so I have a I have a question. Why would they call the was it the coroner the medical examiner yeah. why would they call him in the or the medical examiner why would they call him in the first place well i
1: assume all deaths do you have to like be reported
0: legally right i assume if someone dies I, you have to report it i mean yes and you're also legally required to provide your children with Adequate medical care. Medical it care. It really seem like it's Fair or, enough. Fair enough. They were kind of picking and choosing no, what you're... kind of laws they wanted to follow. To me, it would. It seems like it, they would just go bury the kid. I also and...
1: don't. So the the I, source that I read, it said that it was a church elder, and so it's possible that maybe it doesn't sound oh, like okay. it was like the ch- the like a, the church is united front. It's possible that maybe one person there, like, had mm-hmm. some you know. Reservations about the laying of hands and the prayer and, like, maybe deep down wanted uh-huh. to get medical care because, like, in a lot of ways, there is no reason that they should, like, could have... They could have waited to tell the medical examiner about Evelyn... Or, sorry, about Jennifer because... Right. Like, like Evelyn still needed medical care. And so, like, I think uh-huh. any reasonable person would assume that that medical examiner could come into the home and give advice to get med- to get Evelyn medical care. And so mm-hmm. maybe that person, yep. you know, wanted You're right. You're right. wanted people, wanted them to do something about, like, Evelyn. Um, and so Fair. at the hospital, doctors saw that Evelyn was in respiratory distress, and they were actually able to stabilize her with oxygen. And then she was admitted to a children's hospital, and eventually she fortunately made a full recovery and she ended up actually being released to foster parents because um sarah mitchell and travis mitchell were both arrested and charged with criminally negligent homicide and criminal mistreatment for their inaction on the day of evelyn and jennifer's birth and unfortunately jennifer's death um and in the case of like evelyn it was particularly their like initial inaction because um she should have like the moment they were born basically they should have like called for an ambulance and gotten those kids to the hospital Mm -hmm. and so one of the prosecutors major arguments was that members of the followers of church oh sorry the followers of christ church did not object to all forms of medical care for medical professionals in fact sarah travis and other members of the church regularly got medical or veterinary care for their pets but they wouldn't do it for their children um I wish you could see my reaction (laughs) to that like which to me I'm like yes 100% get like veterinary care for your dogs however if like you have the option like if for some reason like you had to choose does the dog get to see the vet or does my newborn baby who cannot breathe and is turning white going to the hospital? Like I,
0: like I feel like it's a no brainer, (laughs) but it just seems like if it's good enough for your pets, why would it not be good enough for you and your children? Exactly. It's also, you know, and I think a lot of, um, some,
1: a lot of churches and it's often kind of the less mainstream ones. Um, I feel like some of their additional rules and stuff like that are put in place are just there to control members because there's nothing biblically that says you can't get like any type of treatment. Like, I don't think that the Bible specifically says no doctors at any time. Um, Mm -hmm. And so... And if and if somebody does believe that, I do think it's often like a gross um, misinterpretation, usually intentionally. And so I don't know. I just feel like
0: just hypocritical. It just yeah, it shows that there is, you know, ulterior motives. Motives if you're not willing to get care for people, but willing to seek care for animals. Exactly. And so both Sarah um, Mitchell and Travis
1: pled guilty. And in a signed statement, they said, quote, we should have sought adequate medical care for our children and everyone in the church should always seek adequate medical care for our children. Um, And so that actually made the two of them the first members of the church to not only plead guilty, but to also take responsibility for their criminally negligent behavior. Um, So this church has actually had, I think Jennifer was the fourth child in the church in like the past, like at the time, like in so... Yeah, in in 2017, Jennifer was, like, the fourth baby or child to die in, like, nine years in that church from, like, not getting medical care. And so all of those other parents, Mm -hmm. including Sarah's um, sister, were all, you know, like, charged and, like, arrested and stuff. And nobody took responsibility. Um, And so they all felt like they didn't do anything wrong. But um, I think... Sarah and Travis I don't know if they if that statement was coerced like if they were threatened with if you don't say this like you're going to jail for a lot longer um but Mm -hmm. they did make the statement and in the end they were both sentenced to just over six years in prison um which I don't know I have mixed feelings about but that is the case starring Sarah Mitchell and being medically
0: negligent Wow. See, to me, at least I can see some gray area in this case of... I would want to know more about Sarah's past. When when did she join this church? Was it something that she was born into? Was it something... Um, because in that case, if you grew up within the church and that's all you've ever known... Um, in that case you know it's still not right but at least i can wrap my brain around that if you didn't really i mean i guess you'd have I, to ignore like her sister going to jail i think that you could still if you're so ingrained in this church and this is your entire support system and your entire families within the church i think you could rationalize what happened to the sister and maybe even I develop don't... mistrust towards authorities and you know maybe if you thought in your mind like that was just god's will for this child to die now she's arrested i'm angry i i'm not saying that i
1: sorry mm-hmm. sorry go ahead no i get what you're saying i disagree with what you're saying but i get it um <laughs> because i'm not saying that that's like a hundred percent of an excuse yeah no i totally I... get it. but my i guess for me i'm just kind of like yeah you can be raised in a in a particular faith in a particular tradition and that's all you know and this is like how you know to behave to like lead a righteous life or whatever it is that your church is telling you that this Mm -hmm. that these particular actions do or whatever right but i do feel like Mm -hmm. the fact that six other parents in your church have had to deal with their kids dying True. and then also mm-hmm. like deal like like being arrested, being charged, some of them, you know, went to prison. I feel like that is enough information, that is enough data as a human being to understand that. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I understand what our church is telling us, but we live within a greater society that has its own rules. That are more important, like not necessarily more important to follow, but like have greater consequences. But then beyond that, it is like we've done cases of like mothers who murdered their children. But like in this case,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't think there is anything pathologically wrong with any of these parents but I do think it goes against all like parental instincts to allow your kid to die. You know what I mean? Like to to like mm-hmm. not do what you can to like save your kid. And so for me, like the fact that 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 her faith superseded that maternal instinct that could have just like this mm-hmm. kid would have been alive with a 911 call. Like I I don't know. I just I, like, I personally well, no, you're just refuse right. to understand that.
0: You're right. I think, you know, mothers, well, isn't it, like, uh, get the strength to, like, move cars to, like, help save their children? Or, will like, you know, in a bear attack, a mother would put herself between the bear and her kid, even though that's not something, you know, it, it's not necessarily rational. Or, you know, you just do whatever you can. And I think that having your child literally dying in front of you could be your own kind of come to jesus moment of i want to do anything i can to protect my child yeah um so i under yes i i understand
1: the other part that also kind of enrages me about this case is like all right fine you had two babies your church like your faith system is telling you that like Prayer and like anointment oil and all these things are supposed to heal and deliver her um, into life or whatever. Right. You see that that mm-hmm. doesn't work. And then it takes mm-hmm. like law enforcement coming in and like having to persuade you to try to save your other kid. Like your immediate reaction wasn't, holy crap, this other baby is also in the same regist- or respiratory distress. Let me true get her <laughs> medical care. I'm just like. Again, true. Like, but people me, like, also do die from
0: medical care, even That's when true. they are provided adequate medical care, they might die. And, you know, it's not our rational thought to be like, oh, well, and miracles happen in, in regular medical care where people turn around that could be, you know, attributed to That's um, intervent- divine intervention of, you know, maybe there were some situations in their community where someone was really sick and they got better. So in that case, the prayer worked. So there might have yeah. been situations where people just you know healed yeah. on their own and yep. that proved prayer work so you're, yeah I you're think not, wrong in that at all yeah but I do I'm also I'm not think, wrong thank you
1: okay hey, <laughs> no I like I no I agree with what you're saying it's also though it's kind of like if like you're do like if you've done one thing and it led to an unfavorable outcome maybe try something a
0: little different mm-hmm you know no that's fair and i think <laughs> I well in the case but, of yeah how we view medical situations where someone doesn't survive i think it's often you know we did everything we could and this still happened um versus like you didn't do everything you could and that happened mm-hmm. so that's fair it's also i like just feel fascinating, like fascinating it's a weird weird thing i think i'm gonna go i'm gonna go
1: down an area that you probably aren't gonna be happy with me to go down this um Area, no, but let's, let's do it. These are also, like, people that most likely are against abortion. Okay. <sighs> because you're killing a defenseless child. You need to do everything that you can to protect a quote-unquote defenseless child mm-hmm. in a womb, a collection of cells, some people might say. And mm-hmm. so it's just interesting to me that, like, will that certain people will, like, fight tooth and nail for like legislation to follow, to be in line with their beliefs. But then said mm-hmm. defenseless child is born. And what? <laughs> like Now like protecting said child goes out of the window. I don't like, for, my, it, does, it does not compute. It just does not work for me. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of my little, my little miniature rant there.
0: That, no, that's fair, but at the same time, in this case, it sounds like I wonder if, you know, someone died, if they would say that was just God's will, that was just God's will. So in the case of a an abortion, that would be humans taking it into their own hands versus, you know, your child dying, well, that was just God's will. God wanted, God intended for this child to die for some higher reason that we can't understand um, I just I think would be I, how they might process that. I'm, but it doesn't You're I, right, it doesn't make sense. I'm like I think The end goal is somewhat... you want people to be healthy. The end goal is you want people to be healthy and happy. So why would you not take the proper routes to make sure people mm-hmm. are healthy and happy?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I grew up Catholic. I consider myself still kind of in that Tradition. I don't necessarily go to church very regularly or anything like that. But I do think that like Mm -hmm. as Christians, as religious people, regardless of your faith tradition, um like there there are things, you know, modern medicine, things like that. Like, let's just I I believe that these are things that God has put on this earth to help us. Like, you know, if not, Mm -hmm. then why I don't know, just guys get medical care. And I, I do think, you know, if you're an adult and you decide hey i don't want to go through chemo treatment or i don't want to do xyz that's totally fine but i do think we got to help kids that's a different point to be able um, to make that decision for themselves
0: autonomy yeah Yeah, medical autonomy and well it's interesting that you bring up abortion because many people would say in that case that autonomy is a reason to um not allow abortion to happen that's just getting into the weeds and maybe something that we shouldn't uh <laughs> maybe we should oh, go we, down that route. Like rabbit. there's like tons of like different like
1: ethical and philosophical ways that you can like look at it um and right i think right all i think all sides of the argument you can poke different holes in it but um right. i do it like but just when, when devil, you do think when you do think about like people saying oh that's god's will what's the difference between Like, let's say I apply for a job and I'm like, I really want this job. Like, God's will will persevere. And I don't get the job. And to say that that's God's will. But, like, really, there was a person who made the decision that I didn't get that job. So, like, why is that person's decision God's will? But, like, Mm -hmm. my decision to get an abortion, not God's will. Or my decision to get my kid medical care, not God's will. You know? Just... Food
0: for Micra thought, guys. This is gosh, thought. we're getting really. <laughs> you know, I did, I did minor in <laughs> philosophy, so I, I am an expert on on all of this. Fancy. This is the kind of stuff I love to talk about, but very controversial. But I think at the end of the day, you and I um, are very aligned, uh, very much so in in our beliefs, whatever they they might be. And I feel like in in true therapist form, I don't want to disclose too much of, you know, my religious beliefs or my beliefs. I mean, obviously some of my beliefs have come out, but um, I think, yeah, we're we're getting into some uncharted territory. Um, So no matter what, (laughs) at the end of the day, I think um, just do research on, you know, what you believe in, Uh, find evidence-based resources. Um, I don't think that there's necessarily any right or or wrong answer to to many of the things that that we are talking about. There are, you know, different, uh, kind of things to consider in terms of harm reduction and and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I would just encourage you to, um, do, do your research and, um... I guess I apologize ahead of time if anything that we said offended you. Um, and but hopefully not. At, while, this is a safe while space. Everyone,
1: while everyone is entitled to their own medical opinion, you are not entitled to break the law. So don't break the law, guys. Right.
0: There are, <laughs> yeah, whether or not, you know, you believe it, you are legally, you know, required to care for your children and to, to not neglect them emotionally, physically, medically, uh all that good stuff so that was a fun one (laughs) yay what did you say great episode yeah yeah
1: i think it was i think it was good (laughs) the case definitely made me a little sad but you know i kind of like raging against the man a little bit in my like what i did in my case so i guess not against the man but against certain things (laughs)
0: Our music is the track Wasteland by Joseph McDade. His Patreon and our podcast sources will be linked in the podcast description below. Any mistakes are entirely our own, so check out our wonderful sources for the most accurate information about these cases. We
1: talk about some tough subject matter on our show. If you or someone you love is in need of support, please reach out to the Crisis Text Line by texting HOME to 741741. They are available 24-7 and will connect you with a trained crisis counselor.
0: You can also reach the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Join us next week for another episode of Pink Collar, a true crime podcast.